And I'm going to... Uh, good morning. There we go. I'm, I'm going to ask you to do something else, too. Would you, would you just stand and greet people around you and say, welcome and good morning? Okay, that's enough. Knock it off. <laughs> oh, that was going to get out of control there for a minute. You guys sound very friendly this morning. That's awesome. Uh, I, it's great for, to be back. I had a chance to um, get out of town for uh, just a few days, actually. Amy and I had a chance to go down to Portland, Oregon, and uh, I was uh, and, and visit Jeff and Carrie Welch. Uh, and uh, Jeff was being ordained there at uh, the church that he is serving in as senior, senior pastor at Bethany Baptist Church. And I want to thank you all for sending me to go down and be a part of that. And I'll let, let you know the good news. Jeff got a, a unanimous affirmation uh, for his ordination, which was sweet. It was fun to go and heckle my friend and be a part of that. And I bring you greetings from Bethany Baptist Church. They asked me to greet you and say hello. And uh, it's always fun when you are traveling or you're out of town and you step into a fellowship and you meet the people of God, you meet brothers and sisters in Christ and you have that sweetness of knowing the breadth of the body of Christ. Have you ever encountered that? Maybe this morning you're experiencing it. Uh, If you're a visitor, if you're new, I want to especially ask you to use that zip strip in your bulletin and just let us know that you're here. Let us know who you are. It's your way to communicate uh, to us. Um, If you want to compliment Keith on his excellent shirt selection, you can do that there. Uh, if you have a prayer request, uh, you can do that there. If you want some information on specific ministries, you can let us uh, know in that as well. So uh, that is a tool for not just visitors, but for all of you. If you've been coming for 20 years, let us know you're here by using that, please. Uh, We'll pray, and then we'll uh, dive into our new series. So let's pray. Father, we're thankful that Wherever we go, you are there. The name of our church is Bethel, which means house of God. But we are reminded, Lord, that these walls do not contain you. You indwell your people. And so wherever we go, we have the opportunity to worship you. For you are ever-present. Thank you this morning that we have been saved by the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And because of that, we can gather and we can worship together the true and the living God who orchestrated our salvation. Thank you that we can learn from both New and Old Testament about the nature of our God and the nature of his rescue and the deliverance that we have because of his grace. Thank you for this time. Father, may we have our attention fixed and focus on you and on your word and on the what we need to change in our lives. So we ask for your help now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would open your Bibles to the book of Exodus, uh, that's where we're going to be now uh, this morning and for a while. And um, as you can see, the title of this series is Way Out, uh, Exodus, Rescue and Revelation. Uh, Amy and I had a chance to spend a couple weeks in London uh, this summer while we were on sabbatical, and we saw these signs everywhere. What would normally read exit in London reads way out. So this is a little tip and nod to uh, 
the British folks. But uh, I want to just get your attention and see that that really is uh, uh, heart of, of this series as we go through the book of Exodus. Uh, several years ago, my dad, on his 50th uh, birthday, decided that he uh, wanted to ride his bicycle uh, across the United States. And um, I can think of a lot better things to do on one's 50th birthday, uh, but that's what he had decided he wanted to do. And so he bought a new bicycle, and he began to train and prepare for this uh, long, epic trip, and he accomplished it. He started in Everett, Washington, and he rode across the country to Bar Harbor, Maine. And uh, he did it in 30 days. Uh, he he uh, carved up his trip and, and knew that he had to ride about 100 miles a day. And so that's what he trained and prepared himself to do. And it was an awesome accomplishment. Very proud of him for having done it. He asked me if I wanted to participate in any part of it. And I thought, Dad... I don't know how you'll keep up with me on my motorcycle. Because <laughs> there's like no way I'm going to pedal. That's why we have cars and vehicles. Um, I politely declined. And, uh, so he, uh, but he didn't do it alone. He did it with my mom's assistance. And she was very gracious. My mom is a school teacher in San Diego. And uh, she gave up uh, a, little, a little more than four weeks of her summer, which for a school teacher is the majority of it, right? She gave that up, and she supported him by driving a 1980-something Winnebago Brave. If any of you know what that is, uh, you're the one smiling right now. And go home and Google that, and when you see the image of it, you'll be smiling when you get home. It was an old, uh, old motorhome. Um, but she drove that, and the sacrifice that she made was pretty amazing. Uh, basically, she would you know, help him get ready uh, in the morning and uh, and and uh, get get kind of food on the table, and as he took off riding, she would break down the camp from wherever they were, drive 30 miles in the Winnebago Brave, which is not a fun ride, and then rendezvous with him somewhere. They'd have lunch, drive another whatever you know so many miles, rendezvous for dinner, and then go and set up camp somewhere. And she did that for a month uh, to support my dad for this ride on her vacation time, on her summer off. That's how she served him. And so she, because of that event, my mom now has this magical word that she can utter in almost any instance. If ever there's a 50-50 decision and dad wants to do this and mom wants to do this, she has one magical word at her disposal, Winnebago, (laughs) right? And decision is made. Whatever mom wants goes. And so she has kind of attained that through her support. And as I was studying, how am I going to connect this to Exodus, right? I can't. Um, as I was studying Exodus and just kind of looking at a broad sweep of the book uh, this week, uh, one of the things that really um, stood out to me is that this event kind of serves that same purpose in the relationship between God and Israel. This rescue, this exodus, this taking them out of slavery and taking them out of Egypt is God's Winnebago statement to them. Uh, and in fact, you see in your notes there that over a hundred times throughout the scriptures, God makes the statement, I am the Lord your God, who took you out of Egypt and who brought you into this land. A hundred times God makes that statement. It is God's declaring to his people, remember, I rescued you. 
I'm your redeemer. I'm the God who took you out, and I'm the God who brought you to myself. And that is the sweet message uh, of the book of Exodus, among other things. This morning we're going to go through what might seem like a bit of a tedious exercise. We want to just do our homework. We want to lay a good foundation. What is this book? Who is it written to? What, it's a, what is it about? What is its purpose? And we're going to lay this foundation so that as we study it for the next several months, we get the most out of it. So, uh, so kind of uh, hang with me as, as we go through this. We'll try and get it all, all the appropriate information on the table here, and I hope the handout in front of you will be helpful. The title of, of the book, of course, it, it's Exodus. We, that's what we know it as. Uh, and that really is a Latin word that comes from the Greek translation, and it means simply to depart or, or to exit, uh, as probably you, you, you know very intuitively. Maybe what you don't know, and I think even more interesting, is the Hebrew title of the book, which is Wa'alah Shemoth. Wa'alah Shemoth. And it means this. It means, and these are the names. And that Hebrew title is taken from the very first phrase of the book, which begins with the word, and. And these are the names. Uh, now, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Mark preached to you guys, and he made a bold confession that he didn't pay attention in English class. you remember that? And he, he wished he had learned the rules of grammar a little bit more. Now, I don't remember a whole lot from English either, but one thing I do remember is that it's it generally improper to begin a sentence with the word and, right? What we learn here is that Exodus isn't necessarily the second book of the Bible, but it's a part of the first. The first book of the Bible being the Pentateuch, what we know as Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And that these five have an, an integration. They belong together. Exodus is a continuation of what was begun in Genesis. And there is, there's integration in these books. And that's something that I want you to be aware of. And so not only do we learn just by the first line of this book that there is integrity in the Pentateuch, we also learn that there is integrity with our God. Our God is a God who keeps his promises. And you're going to hear that theme an awful lot as we go through uh, the book. What God promised, particularly to Abraham, in the book of Genesis, which we've already studied a couple years ago, he is now fulfilling in Exodus. And so we have this great privilege of seeing the best part of a promise, which is its fulfillment. And Exodus shows us that again and again and again. I want to take you to some of the last words spoken uh, by Joseph in Genesis. If you would look at the last chapter, Genesis 50, uh, starting at verse 24, we can see some of these promises being made, and that will kind of show us how they're being fulfilled later. In Genesis 50:24, it says this, Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land, the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110. And after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin. And so we see again from this wonderful uh, book of Exodus and this big event of the Exodus that God keeps his promises. The promise made to Abraham that Joseph knew well of, that he repeated to his brothers, we see God execute on uh, in this particular book. 
The author of the book uh, of Exodus, you might know this, traditionally is held that it is Moses. In fact, not just author of the book of Exodus, but in fact the Pentateuch as a whole, the first, what we think of as the first five books uh, of the Bible. Uh, and uh, I certainly support that. Moses is the author. Uh, now, I, I will add a little caveat with that. I think there's probably some other written materials that Moses used and incorporated and sort of served as a general editor in some, some aspects. And I think it's possible that somebody like Joseph, or excuse me, um, like Joshua, did some arranging or editing of, of Moses' materials after the fact. But in general, Moses is the author. He is the principal figure in the arrangement of what we call the Pentateuch. And that is traditionally held, historically held. And I want to give you some evidences for that, as you can see here. There's several internal um, references to that in Exodus 17 and Exodus 24. We see phrases like, and the Lord instructed Moses to write. And so we see that there are some internal um, nods to Moses as the author. Uh, in the book of Joshua, in chapter 8, if you want to turn there, I'm going to read a passage in just a second. We see that Joshua refers uh, to the Mosaic authorship. He refers to the book of the law and credits it as having been what Moses wrote. Look at um, uh, Joshua 8:34. It says, Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. So not only is there internal evidence, but uh, contemporaries of Moses or, or Joshua those that, and those that followed right on his heels affirmed his authorship. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul credits him as the author in Romans 10. And then on from there, and maybe the most convincing to us this morning is that Jesus credits Moses as the author of the Pentateuch. And I'm sure many of you are saying, listen, all you had to say, Eric, was that Jesus affirmed it and, and I'm sold. That's all I really needed here. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. But in Mark 7 and Mark 12 and John 5, uh, we see evidence of that. Uh, first century historian Josephus, nearly all the church fathers agree. Um, there's one other little detail that I want to kind of draw out about uh, the authorship of the book, uh, and that is in Acts chapter 7. Dr. Luke, who is the author of, of the book of Acts, uh, also not only credits Moses, but talks about Moses' credentials uh, to, to do this particular work and, and much of the other work that he did for Israel. In Acts 7.22, it says this, Moses was educated in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and in action. That's going to be interesting later on when we see Moses' calling and he says, yeah, but I'm not really a good speaker. Actually, he was a good speaker. He was making excuses, but that's a sermon for another day. Um, why do I focus so much on, on, on his authorship and, and his credentials here uh, from Dr. Luke? Here's why. Because I, I think it is absolutely fascinating to see how God prepared the man that he would have lead his people out of their slavery. God had made a promise for their deliverance. And God made good on his promises and that he specifically prepared someone to lead them. He was, uh, he was involved in that and he had 
providentially done everything that was necessary so that Moses would be that guy. Uh, I think it's fascinating when you think of what was happening in Egypt at the time that Moses uh, was being prepared for this. Uh, I know I'm getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here because we haven't studied the book. But during the time when all of the Israelite boys were being killed as infants by the Egyptians, Moses was preserved. And he was placed out on the river and taken into the home in the palace of Pharaoh and given every opportunity for education and training and preparation to be the leader and to be the author that God had prepared for his people. And in an incredible irony, we see that Moses was going to be the one that would lead the rescue uh, of his people, that he had been raised and had been trained by the very family he would then oppose. And that is the power and the providence of God. And so God, we find, makes big, big promises in the scriptures. But we also find that he provides his people for everything that they need to fulfill them. And I think that is an incredible encouragement. And so here's the big point. With God's promises comes God's provisions. With God's promises come God's provisions. Let's look at some of these promises. God had made an incredible promise to Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant that we know of in, in uh, Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. Again, we looked at a lot of this a couple of years ago, and as we went through the book of Genesis, you, you, hopefully you remember this. Hopefully you were taught by someone who could say it in such a way that you'll be able to remember it or recall it. Uh, but uh, so, uh, three of the things that we learn in the Abrahamic covenant here was that God was going to create his own people, a people of God through Abraham's line and that he would provide them with a land, and that he would not only bless them, but bless all people through them. Remember these three critical promises? Three things made, promises made to Abraham, a people, a land, and a blessing. And those three things are the link between the book of Genesis and Exodus and what is continuing here. And I want to just show you how some of this is going to get fleshed out. Just think about it. About 75 people, entered into Egypt. Remember this? About 75 people entered. Joseph had already providentially been set ahead, sent ahead in a pretty ugly circumstance, but he was there. And then his family comes in. And so about 75 people uh, move into Egypt, but a couple of million would exit. They had a temporary home in Egypt, didn't they? And we often focus on the slavery aspect and the harsh treatment, and that's certainly what's being taught here and shown to us. But you also have to look and say, an honest looking at this would show us that this was their home and a place that they found relief and they found food and they were sheltered, and this was the place that they lived. And I would submit that a majority of their time in Egypt was probably just fine. But things got bad at the end, didn't they? This was their temporary home, but... God was preparing for them a promised land. And that's what he's taking them out to. We understand that it was famine that brought Joseph's family into Egypt. Remember? They were destitute and God had taken care of them, sending Joseph ahead. Um, but when they leave Egypt, they don't leave in famine. They leave actually with great fortune. They plunder the Egyptians. And we'll get to that story later. And so God was blessing them even through this, this difficult time. 
We find that Joseph, he knew of God. He knew God and he knew him through many of his dreams. But what we find is upon their exodus here, eventually all of Israel would know God and worship him. And God would dwell among them in the tabernacle. And so these promises that have been made to Abraham, a people and a land and blessing, we we find the beautiful fulfillment of them in Exodus. 75 people in, a couple million out. A temporary home and a promised land. And all of the blessings uh, that they would leave, that they would take out of Egypt and that they would be blessed by knowing God as he dwelt among them. And so I remind you, what we learn from this, from this book is this, that God keeps his promises. What's difficult at times is to see that in the midst of our trials and our struggles. And we have to remember the timetables of God are different than ours too, aren't they? 430 years in Egypt. Any of you wait that long for God's promises to come true in your life? And that is the great difficulty. Sometimes the promises of God are not realized in our own lifetime. Let's look at some of the key words and key themes of the book. There's a couple of them here. Redemption and revelation. And I'll use the word rescue synonymously with redemption as well as we go through. Uh, But I want to show you this. In modern history, actually, uh, Exodus, the event and the book of Exodus, is uh, actually become quite a beloved book. Uh, particularly with people groups who have felt oppressed. Uh, It's been a place of inspiration and a place that they identify with. Uh, Let me give you some examples. The Protestant Reformation. Uh, Many of the Reformers referred to this book while they were trying to throw off Roman oppression. And it became sort of an encouragement to them. The American colonists, when they were throwing off uh, the domination of England, they were inspired by the Exodus and the delivery that they saw there. Uh, the African slaves in the Americas identified with Israel and the harsh treatment that they, re- that they received under the Egyptians. So they identified with the book. The civil rights movement in the 1960s, there was a renewed interest in the book of Exodus. In fact, Martin Luther King Jr. delivered several beautiful speeches that give con- you know, consistent reference to it. Uh, and so it's very interesting in that way. Even the poor in Latin America today continue to identify with this book and refer to it. And so Exodus has become really this, this a popular book for these freedom and revolution movements. And they're often inspired by the deliverance aspect that they see here. In fact, there's a whole theology developed around this called liberation theology. Here's the point that I want to make. There's two sections to Exodus. Yes, there is this beginning piece of this rescue and this redemption But there's a second part of the book, which is the revelation of God. And we oftentimes have people that want to focus on just the first half of the book. God the rescuer, the redeemer. But we have to read the second part of the book as well. That God redeems us and rescues us for a purpose. And that is that we might know him. That we might worship him. That we might follow him. There's two parts of the book. And we have to read them both. So yes, Israel was freed, but they were freed to be the people of God, right? Yes, they were freed from bondage in Egypt, but they were freed to belong to the one true and living God. They were freed from the oppression that they were under, but they were freed to praise and worship Yahweh. 
You have to read the first part of the book and the second part of the book. We see the rescue and we see the revelation of God. And I want to show this to you from the book in Exodus 6, uh, verse 6. This is really kind of, I would say, the theme verse of the book. And it shows us these two parts and how they work together. In verse 6 it says this, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I would submit to you that a lot of oppressed people groups love that verse. We identify with it. It's wonderful. It's the brave heart in all of us, right? Freedom! But there's a second part. He goes on in verse 7 to say, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And here we see one of these Winnebago moments, right, from God. I am the Lord your God. I rescued you for me. I rescued you for me. For my sake. He says, I will bring you to a land I swore with uplifted hand to give Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Um, well, who is this thing written to? Who is this book written to? Let's take a look at that. Uh, when was it written? Who was it written to? It was written to, uh, of course, those that God was rescuing, but it was composed by Moses really during uh, the 40 year wanderings uh, of Israel. And I would submit to you that the audience that is uh, going to be receiving this is a few million Jewish refugees who are waiting to enter the promised land. In fact, I think Moses basically composed this while they were wandering. And I actually believe that it was really the second generation. It was the kids of those who had been rescued out of Egypt. The kids who were getting ready to go into the promised land who were being taught what they needed to hear here. Um, and so I believe it was sort of this post-Exodus generation, the kids of those who are preparing to go in the promised land, and they needed to know these critical pieces of their history, and they needed to know these truths about their God. Uh, as we went through the book of Genesis, we kind of talked about, or I, I made the point that Moses is basically teaching Israel their family history. He's teaching them the theology and the information that they would have forgotten while they were enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years. Truths that they would have, have kind of uh, gotten lost in the background there. Uh, and so Genesis is largely the, th- the theology that they needed to know and their family story. In contrast, Exodus is a continuation of that, and he needs to teach them about how they got into Egypt. And not only how they got in, but how they got out. And then they were to learn about how to worship their God and how God came to dwell among them in the tabernacle. And so for those that are getting ready to enter the promised land, they need to know that all of this is about God keeping his promises. And so Moses is instructing them with this kind of history. Again, what is the purpose of all of this? Exodus is written to deepen their love for their Redeemer and to warn them against future disobedience, because certainly their parents had been. Genesis introduces them to Yahweh. Exodus is to deepen their love and their commitment to him, and to remind them to follow Yahweh. Um, Organization of the book. Very quickly here, and we're almost done. Uh, 
it really divides up into two kind of neat and tidy parts. The first part is this redemption or this rescue piece, a rescue from Egypt, and that's really the first 18 chapters of the book. And the second uh, section of the book, chapters 19 through 40, that's about the revelation of God, God showing them who he is so that they might know him and that they might worship him. And really the big, big idea of the whole series that we will come back to again and again and again is this that God keeps his promises. I hope we have whet your appetite for the book. There's a lot of things we're going to learn here. We're going to learn about prayer. We're going to learn about the power of God. We're going to learn about the promises of God and the way he provides for his people. Uh, We're going to learn about his sovereignty and the providence of God. Lots and lots of things. Uh, And I think it's going to be a rich study. So I hope you'll stick with us as we go through it. Would you bow in prayer with me now? Well, Father, we've just done kind of a bird's eye view of the book of Exodus here and even a lot of the the Pentateuch. And I imagine there are a lot of minds that are spinning as we try to let some of these things sink in. And Father, I would ask that right now, this moment, that you would encourage your people with the reminder that you keep your promises. That though sin has entered this world, and that we are all too willing accomplices. That God, you have, because of your grace and your mercy, intervened and rescued your people. You are a trustworthy God who keeps his promises. May that be an encouragement to us, Lord, as we look around and we see a world that is often scary and disappointing and at times looks like it's out of control. May we be encouraged by the truth that you are a God who keeps his promises, that you have all things under control. This world was created by you. It exists for you and for your glory. And you will rescue and redeem that which is yours. So we thank you for the truths of the scriptures and we ask for your guidance as we tackle this book together as a church. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our Rescuer. Amen.